Hello and welcome to part two of episode 10 of the Rising Edge DNO podcast. We will hear from Owen again in our takeaways at the end, but first, let's go straight back to our interview with Ron Rossi and Ed Filiush from the law firm Kasowitz Benson Torres. In this part, Ron and Ed focus much more on litigation strategy and how to manage it when a claim arises. And Ed begins by explaining what some of the most common challenges or pitfalls are when dealing with a case. So I think one of the, the biggest issues that, that folks can get into in litigation is when, when you feel that you may have a claim coming or you might have some issue is, is to kind of take steps to you know, document preservation is the kind of thing that seems really easy to think about, but if you don't do it, it's so perilous and, and can cause you so much harm. Even if you did nothing wrong in the underlying issue, is going to be judged against you if you don't. So immediately kind of going through and conducting your own forensic investigation. Who are the right people that we need to that, are, that were involved in this? Where are their documents? Do we have, do we need to turn off our automatic email deletion that we've been using because it saves us millions of dollars and not having to have data back up because we delete every email after 60 days. Yeah. Turning that off even once you get notice of the claim. And then small pitfalls like the regular running of the business are you alienating certain folks? You know, litigation can go on for a long time and you may have had an employee who decides to leave or you decide to part ways with. Are you ensuring that you have some sort of, you know, cooperation agreement or indemnification agreement for those folks? Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, not have someone say, okay, well, we decided to move on or, you know, just not for cause, just fire this person or this group of people. But wait a minute. How have we secured all of their documents, even if there's nothing wrong or, or ensured that they're going to show up to a deposition? Yeah. Just thinking about everything in the company has to be through that lens of the litigation. All the other activities in your normal course of business you kind of can't take all of those regular steps. You need to be mindful that you're now in this alien world to most companies and ensuring that you're focused on not a go forward, but sometimes things that happened two or three years ago and preserving documents, preserving the right people that you can talk to to understand what happened. Mm -hmm. And really fact gathering is kind of the first mm -hmm. uh, point with the eye toward what do we need to do to either prove the claims that we'd be asserting if it's a, you know affirmative or to defend against the claims that are being there? What are the key critical facts and where are those facts housed? Mm -hmm. To follow up on that a little bit, so now you've been sued, there's a set of allegations against you. It's critical at the outset to figure out well, what actually happened here. Mm -hmm. what, what, is, what is our internal assessment of whether or not we are liable or to the extent we are not that we've been aggrieved and might have claims of our own. And sometimes a rate limiter is that the person you're initially dealing with or the set of persons you're initially dealing with can sometimes be the same set of persons who arguably put the business in the, that position in the first place. And human nature is such that it becomes almost like an overwhelming impetus mm -hmm. for them to say, well, nothing happened here. Or they can't divorce their personal reaction to the event, to the to the rational response to the event, which is, yeah, you have some exposure here, and here's how we would mitigate it, and here's what we need to think about. And so sometimes just getting through the clutter of it and the emotion of it is important to get to just kind of a dispassionate analysis of well, what happened, what do we do next. But critically important to start 
right away to get in there and ask the right questions of the right people. But just when you mentioned human nature and the people that are involved in the underlying maybe things that went on, everyone sees the world through their own lens, right? So that got me thinking about with litigation, you're on the other side from each other. So in their eyes, you're the bad guys uh, and girls. In your eyes, they're, you know, they're, yeah. they're in the wrong. So like, how do you get past that? What are your kind of tactics for? So we're getting on to like resolution now. So everyone thinks they're right or that they have a good case. Yeah, so now, now I think we're, we're a little farther down the road now in the life cycle of the claim, right? Because yeah. before we're ready to resolve the claim, we need to make a couple of assessments. So you get sued. I think the first thing that a good set of lawyers or a good set of litigators are going to do, and, and frankly, more than half of all of the U.S. at least securities filings are sort of resolved in this way, mm-hmm. is, well, has the pleading, even if you accept all the facts as true, mm-hmm. has the pleading stated a legally cognizable claim? Mm-hmm. If it hasn't, then just on the pleading full stop, you should be able to take a kill shot at that lawsuit. Yeah. Right. So in every instance, that's sort of the first thing that's going to happen. Do we have a good motion to dismiss here? How do we how do we get it well constructed? And it's an esoteric exercise in the sense that it's really lawyer driven because it's a compilation of the complaint. So you're bound to the four four corners of the pleading amplified by your skill in assessing the law as it applies to those facts as alleged. Right. Mm -hmm. But. Let's say that you have a situation where your company is accused of fraud. And fraud oftentimes can be harder to kill with a kill shot early on because it's fact-based. Mm-hmm. And something about which there's an ambi- you know, ambiguity to material facts is, is a claim that's likely to live longer. And so in, when you're in that situation, yeah, I mean, you have to, A, get to the point where you have people... And when I say dispassionately, I don't mean dispassionately in the sense that we very passionately want to vindicate the rights of our Mm -hmm. client, Mm -hmm. but we want to be dispassionately assessing risk Mm -hmm. because emotion is like rhetoric, right? It always adds heat, rarely adds clarity. And so we want to be sort of like cold, dead-eyed killers when we're looking at these Mm -hmm. problems. And, and sometimes it takes a lot of conversations and a lot of time and a lot of working through the issues. And it's very cathartic for the people who are involved. But ultimately, you get to that point. And then once you've properly assessed the risk, then it oftentimes, and frankly, overwhelmingly oftentimes, makes sense to try to mitigate that risk through a negotiated resolution rather than continue to take the claim through its full life cycle, which would be vindication through you know, a jury trial or an arbitration or some kind of proceeding where there is an adjudicator who ultimately decides. Right? Because you lose control once that happens. Could have victory, but you could also have an outcome that you can't control. You can always control a negotiated settlement. And that's one of the things that I, I find it's, it's most important at the outset to do, both with your client and when you're having discussions with the other side. Things like a fraud allegation can really raise the temperature, and no one wants to be the villain of their own story, to kind of your earlier point. And so accepting, like, look, the facts are kind of the facts, and we just have to apply the law to those facts and do it in, in the right way, but to the extent people get take them personally if they're the same person who was on the ground when that decision was made and now they're the decision maker on how to resolve it it can be very difficult to kind of divorce yourself from that emotion to make the best decision going forward and you need to also 
be mindful that they are people are people and so you can't turn that completely off so following the facts and getting to the best resolution for the business often does take kind of that long and mm -hmm. tedious mm -hmm. but dispassionate work where you're still a an extremely zealous advocate for your position but recognizing how to intelligently and not just aggressively defend against things because fo folks will see a claim and say how dare they have made that allegation against me i want to hit it back really hard and you mm -hmm. as the type of litigators that, that we are and that as we practice we want to be as methodical and direct and aggressive with those claims as possible but that doesn't mean just immediate sound and fury and thermonuclear war it's you know that creative sniping to ensure that we get things tactically resolved um, rather than kind of, you know, just, just go out. It's really difficult to divorce yourself from the initial feelings that can happen when you have a, a, a impassioned complaint against you. Another thing that litigator, a good litigator will be doing for you, and we're using the term litigator, but mm -hmm. at, at, at my firm, we like to think of ourselves really first and foremost as trial attorneys. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at every situation we're going to need to take this to trial and we're going to need to win a trial. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. how we think about the case literally from the yeah. first minute we get it. Now, does that mean that everything goes to trial? Of course not. But paradigmatically, it's a little different than thinking about it like, well, I'm a litigator and ultimately this is going to be a negotiated settlement. And so what's really happened when you first get the lawsuit when you're a company is your adversary, that is the person suing you, has temporarily created a leverage disadvantage. They've created significant leverage if it's a decently, if it decently pled lawsuit, and they're looking to monetize that leverage. Mm -hmm. And so because there's a leverage imbalance, the first thing you need to do is create leverage of your own. A, you create leverage of your own by properly assessing what is the liability, but more importantly saying, well, how can I punch back? Mm -hmm. And I like to think of the scene in Godfather Part Two when the senator comes in and he's talking to Michael Corleone about how Michael Corleone is gonna get his gaming license, but he's gonna have to pay a bribe and the bribe is gonna be delivered and you know, he, he sets all these terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. So he thinks that he has the leverage right there. Mm -hmm. And you know, Michael Corleone comes back to him and says, well, actually, it's not gonna work that way. Senator, you're personally going to put up the gaming license, and I'm not going to do any of the stuff you said. <laughs> and then the guy sort of laughs and walks out the door. But you find your client on the heels when you arrive on the shores of a, of a company that's been sued. And the first thing we try to do is, okay, temporary leverage disadvantage, that's not going to last long. We're going to create leverage. They think that you committed fraud? I've never seen a fraud worse than this in my life, and it was perpetuated on you. You know, mm -hmm. or this is a scarless case and, you know, we are going to vindicate this to the end of the earth. And when you start thinking of it that way mm -hmm. and you think about it like, hey, I need to get back to a level playing field. If I can't get to a level playing field, I need to get out of a hole and get to mm -hmm. sea level. Mm -hmm. If I can get to a level playing field, I need to get to high ground. If I can get to high ground, I need to get the artillery in. If I can get the artillery in, I need to start lobbing shells. If I can't lob shells, I need to be sending people behind the lines with knives in their teeth, right? When you think about it that way, now you're thinking about a winning strategy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what your lawyers should be telling you mm -hmm. when you're in this kind of mm -hmm. situation because it is literally the kind of situation that you cannot respond to like the Marcus of Queensbury. Yeah. The 
tendency and human nature when you when you see these complaints is to get very defensive and yeah. to kind of want to shut down because you've been attacked in this position. But it, it, it is kind of you know, to Ron's point, it's counterintuitive, but it, it's the it's the best possible time to go on the attack and to look at it as an op- look at litigation as an opportunity to yeah. come to a resolution yeah. of the dispute, not just something that is all downside scenario, yeah. because that, you know, that's going to be and people are going to want to cover their own mistakes and say, oh, my goodness, did I do something wrong? How could I, I couldn't have done anything wrong. What's happened here? And they, they you have a tendency to shut down. So a, a good getting a litigator involved who is willing to kind of coax you, who can coax you out of that position and change the uh, change the, not only the dynamics externally uh, with your adversaries, but kind of get you thinking about it in the right way so that you don't close up. Because that's when yeah. you make the mistakes. That's when you're not focused on the right facts. You know, you have to look at what actually happened, warts and all, and really own that. And then, okay, what do we do with that to go yeah. on the yeah. offensive? Yeah. The other thing you want, if you're a client, and now you have these lawyers who are coming in, is ultimately we live in a world where there is just too much information. And the information is just bombarding us on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And what quintessentially happens in a litigation is that out of this cacophony of information, out of this deluge of information, little tiny nuggets of information become absolutely critical. And probably the single best skill that a seasoned trial attorney can bring to your problem is figuring out how to mine and harvest those nuggets to put together a compelling narrative Mm -hmm. as to why you win and the other side loses. Mm -hmm. And if you think about a trial, which is ultimately where everything is going, that million pages of information is going to get distilled down to maybe a hundred. And a hundred would be a lot, like a hundred documents. And out of those hundred documents, maybe there's really ten that the jury's going to focus on. Mm -hmm. And then the jury's going to focus on those ten and sort of like winning themes that your witnesses are going to impart by telling the story of what happened. Mm -hmm. And so you want people who can identify the right themes from the outset, Mm -hmm. who can posit a narrative that's a winning narrative from the outset, who can mine for those nuggets of critical information from the outset, and who can get everyone on message, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. witnesses, Mm -hmm. uh, anyone who's a stakeholder in the outcome. And so that's really the challenge. The challenge isn't reading a case and saying, oh, well, the nuance of the law here or there. That's important Mm -hmm. at the motion to dismiss stage for sure. But when you're talking about really resolving a dispute where the dispute is going to be either negotiated or adjudicated, Mm -hmm. you need to be able to offer those compelling rationales. Mm -hmm. Forget a trial. Let's just say you go to a settlement negotiation. You sit down and you want to convince the other side that they ought to take way less or pay you way more. You can't just have your charm as the thing that you're trying to convince them with. You have to make compelling arguments that are going to meaningfully move the needle. And you do that by getting on message, harvesting the right facts, hitting the right themes. And one of the easy things for folks to do at the outset is they kind of get into their own narrative of what they kind of think yeah. happened. Yeah. And then you, but you really need to target, okay, well, A... Does that matter to the claims and defenses that are asserted? Like really separating the wheat from the chaff in terms of what's important and actually can go into that. Like putting everything in your proof of saying, you know, it's a breach of contract. Does this show the existence of a contract, my performance 
you know, their non-performance and how I was damaged. Because if it doesn't do one of those four things, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then if it does matter, how can I use it in a trial setting? Is it just kind of what I remember? Or is there like, then you have to start thinking, okay, who else did I tell? What contemporaneous documents would go to show that? Is there record keeping that supports that? Does the other side have anything in their records? And harvesting, figuring out where to look for those materials, and then once you find out where to look, finding them, and then always going back to checking, does this meet the boxes of the claims and the defenses, to put together that narrative that is actually supportable, that will make sense to a jury or a judge or any fact finder uh, down the road, because that's really what you're building there. And, and again, not getting distracted with, well, I was wrong and I didn't do this. Okay, so let's really get down to brass tacks and figure out how we're going to show that uh, to create that leverage. You know, and then the other thing is, and, and, and this is kind of the other half of the equation, equally as important. If you bring someone in to help you solve the problem, that person also has to understand that there are always, and frankly, oftentimes, they are the dominant rationales. There are always commercial considerations. Mm -hmm. So you could have the greatest arguments in the world, and you could have the strongest case in the world, and your client might be telling you, or you need to be attuned to the possibility that, well, that's mm -hmm. great, but I need, I need to be in this market, and I can't blow this adversary up. Or this is a rate limiter or a drag on my stock price, and I can't have that continue into the fourth quarter because I'm going to miss metrics that my lenders are going to be very you know, worried about. There's always a commercial story as well, because you have to then integrate what's commercial and reasonable with what's attainable from a litigation perspective. Mm -hmm. And often the twain are divergent. Mm -hmm. It might be what's best for the litigation isn't what's best for commercial reasons. Right. And if you have a litigator, and if he or she has a tin ear to the commercial possibilities of what's going on, then you have the wrong lawyer. Mm -hmm. They could be the most talented person in the world, because there's really no, there's no legal problem that la you know, lands on, your, mm -hmm. you know, on a company's transom that is purely a legal problem. Mm -hmm. Everything is also commercial. And so you want advisors in your problem solving that are attuned to that and are willing to work towards that. But sometimes the best strategy is to say, well, what is my commercial goal here? Mm -hmm. Let's just say the lawsuit has come in and the lawsuit is hurting your stock price. What is my best strategy? Your best strategy might be, well, let's, let's take a retaliatory blow mm -hmm. by filing claims of our own. And even if those claims are aggressive and they may ultimately be difficult to prove, they could have a stabilizing effect in the marketplace on my stock price. My, my shareholders, my potential shareholders might look at that and say, all right, they're off the ropes now. Mm -hmm. they, you know, they, they've dusted off their, their trunks mm -hmm. and they got their hands in front of them and they're throwing punches again. And now all of a sudden you see your stock price stabilize or it goes up a little bit and you've now gained you know, market capitalization back. That in and of itself could be a victory right there. Mm -hmm. And now your lawsuit becomes sort of ancillary to the strategy you've already achieved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you need people who are playing chess and not checkers. And I would say you need people who are playing three-dimensional chess, mm -hmm. but I've yet to understand what that is or even how you play it. But ultimately, solving that litigation problem is a commercial opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you want to be maximizing your outcomes mm -hmm ultimately commercially, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's mm -hmm. how you operate.
But maybe when you win, you want to tell people about it as well because or, or you're successful or you achieve your objective. So yeah, I totally, I love that suggestion about turning it into an opportunity as well. And it's one thing from a commercial perspective to, to be extra mindful of, especially when you're approaching settlement. It's not just about the strength of the case. It's also you know, time value of money one way or the other. It's do we, are we achieving something by taking a year's worth of litigation because we know it's potentially likely that we're you know, going to need to pay something for this and it's you know, within this window yeah. of claim, but we'd really prefer that to happen you know, in the third quarter next year because we've got X, Y, and Z happening before then. Or look, we understand that the demand from the other side is a little oxygenated right now, and yes, we don't want to pay this, but we really need to put this behind us because we have these other opportunities coming down or these uh, funds that are going to be coming in or this merger discussion or this big contract that we're doing. And we can't do this with the pall of litigation kind of hanging over us. So yes, we understand where the risk really is, but we're willing to pay up from that to get it done today. And to Ron's point, having a litigator who can understand both sides of that and be, you know, set the case up in the right way to be the most successful, but fully understand that there are considerations outside of the litigation that can be as, if not more important, and can really listen to that and help shift strategy around achieving those commercial objectives. Because at the end of the day, unless you have kind of a real personal litigation mm-hmm. battle. Mm-hmm. Most of it is kind of business. It's not personal, it's business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's really striking in this whole discussion is you guys seem particularly focused on trial setting, which is kind of unusual because so few complaints actually make it to, to the core steps. You know, I guess, you know, the reputation, certainly I, I have a view is, is, you know, very kind of a, aggressive litigators, ones who are, you know, deal with the most kind of emotional cases. Is that fair? And, and which side do you prefer to play on, on you know, which side they are on, on the defense or on the plaintiff's side? Sure. So I think that one of the aggression is only useful if it's you know creative. Like you know, it's not we're going to run harder into the same wall. It's we're going to figure out the way to dig under it or get over it or get around it in a way that hasn't been. And that is often viewed, and I think rightly so, as aggressive because it's really outside of the box thinking. It's kind of a, a creative strategy to get to those client objectives that also needs to be through that trial lawyer lens because a strategy isn't workable if you can't implement it on the field of play. Like it it could be something that's really brilliant on paper, but if it doesn't work within the rules of the game, if it's not admissible evidence that you can use, if it doesn't go to the claims or defenses, then it might be really cute and clever in the boardroom for discussion, right? right, But it's, it's useless and a good litigator on the other side will see through that. So I think that what we try to do is come up with those implementable strategies that others aren't thinking of um, and that can that kind of aggressive creativity I think gets to those solutions and to your point about would you rather be on the claimant or defense side I, I think both can be fun in different circumstances it's really just kind of about achieving you know the right ends because you could be the person who gets sued but really end up kind of being the plaintiff if you're the one who comes back with counter suits or problems and it's just about the right leverage it kind of doesn't matter for us whether which side of the v that you're on it's just about achieving that end result and i think either can go pretty well obviously you're at a uh, an advantage at the beginning being the plaintiff because you get to know the facts. You're not kind of dropped with the complaint and trying to figure out, okay, is this true? What really happened? Uh-huh. You get to kind of develop and you've got more time to craft your narrative up front. So it's mm-hmm. 
proactive, reactive at the very outset. But then quickly, to Ron's point, since it's about shift getting leverage position, it, it kind of doesn't matter who throws the first punch. We just want to throw the last one. I, I like this notion of aggression, right? So there's not a litigator worth his or her salt, certainly in the U.S. market, who doesn't try to market herself or himself or, or their litigation department by saying we're aggressive. You know, we're aggressive litigators, right? But I like to think of it this way. It's not that really that we're aggressive. It's that we're relentless, right? Somewhere out on the tundra, there is a wolf right now, and that wolf has a hunger in its belly, and it lifts its nose to the wind, and 20 miles away it picks up the faintest scent of a caribou, and it just starts running in the direction of that, cab you know, that caribou, and it's driven by the gnawing hunger in its belly, and that wolf doesn't relax, and that wolf doesn't stand down until its jaws are on the neck of that caribou and it's satiated its hunger. Even if it has to run 20 miles across the tundra, having picked up just the faintest of scent at the outset. Now, is that wolf relentless or is that wolf aggressive? Because that is what we are as litigators. Mm -hmm. We get involved and we try to find the faintest sense of victory that we can. And then we lift our nostrils to the air and we run your claim in that direction until we are satiated and we don't stand down. So being relentless, I think, is what you want in a litigation. Aggression's great, but being relentless is what feeds your hunger. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I think in terms of being, being just aggressive, almost for the sake of it, because that's what you think you should be doing in litigation, is not how you get to where you want to be. Like you say, it's, it's got nothing to do with that. As, to Ed's point, it's about going under the wall, around the wall, over the wall. And, and being creative that way. And then to your point, Ron, is that relentlessness, yeah, getting to your objective. Right, and, and, and look, in, in securities litigation, which is sort of, I think, the, the bandwidth of litigation that may be of most relevance to some of, or maybe mm -hmm. the broadest amount of the listeners to this podcast, yes, most securities cases are resolved at the pleading stage before there's any really meaningful discovery or before there is a full-blown litigation. Mm -hmm. But that's not every lawsuit. And we could have a different podcast, I think, where maybe we were really just talking to underwriters about why that is, mm -hmm. or insurers as opposed to insureds. Mm -hmm. But let's just put it this way from a 30,000-foot level. The system of securities, securities lawsuit dispute resolution is like a giant machine in the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. And it's really set up to ultimately result in insurance dollars paying for the risk decisions and the moral hazard of those decisions that business has made. And the machine works so that half of the output gets spit out early and half of the output survives a little longer. Mm -hmm. And that second half of the output tends to be the more expensive claims. Mm -hmm. But none of those things change the basic facts, which is if you want to convince someone that this asset, which is the claim that they have, which they think is worth a lot, isn't really worth nearly as much as you think, mm -hmm. you better understand how to dissect the problem, get mm -hmm. to the right facts, apply the right law to those facts, apply the right commercial considerations to those facts, and then make a compelling argument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If your lawyers aren't doing those things for you, then they're failing you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. So. I mean, this has been a brilliant chat, I think, especially that last point there around, you know, just the whole... Um, the whole machinery of, of the securities um, litigation system in the US, you know, with half of them being dismissed, half of them basically being insurance money, 
And the best way to really deal with it is get the right litigators in early um, to iron it out, to make it less disruptive for companies, make it cheaper for, for companies um, to, to resolve the litigation and for insurers ultimately. I just think that was just a perfect way to sum up. You guys are, are great friends. We've known each other for many years. Uh, and, and lovely people despite being cold-eyed killers. Um, <laughs> so, so thanks a lot for joining our podcast. Is there one more one tip like to leave us with, to leave the listeners? Yeah, I mean, to your point, uh, it reminds me of sort of, of the parable of the two axe, you know, the two wood choppers. So there was this contest where two wood choppers were going to chop wood all day long, and one was a very burly figure, over six feet tall muscular and the other one was smaller and, and less less physically imposing and they were supposed to chop wood from sunup to sundown and whoever chopped the most wood was going to win and the big strong person started chopping wood and that person did not take a break all day long they just chop 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 chopped all day long and they would periodically look over and they'd see their adversaries sitting down and resting from time to time and at the end of the day when they compared the two wood piles the smaller person who had been taking the breaks had a much larger wood pile and the first wood chopper said I don't understand I understand how you chop more wood I didn't take a break all day long and I chop wood continuously from sunup to sunrise and the other person said yeah but while you were chopping wood all day long when I was sitting down I was sharpening my axe and so the point is yes when you attack these problems important to work hard far far more important to work smart work smart against the dollar work smart to immediately identify the right solution and then relentlessly pursue those solutions to the first opportunity to resolve it, whether it's through adjudication or negotiated settlement. Well, Owen, I would say that was probably the most uh, intense interview uh, we've, we've ever done, but a lot of fun as well and packed full of great professional insight from Ron and Ed. I don't know, I'm scared to ask you this question, but what were your key takeaways from that? I've got quite a few, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, some great <laughs> takeaways. So I'll run through them. First one we talked about, I'm interested in this because the psychology of it's quite interesting, but we discussed that dynamic of emotion that can be stirred up by litigation and, and allegations being made. And stage one of that case is about establishing facts and this re does require a lot of work if you're a lawyer and those um, those involved in the underlying issues kind of it involves them taking that leap divorcing the emotional feelings or reactions from finding and establishing the actual facts and then the step after that is the dispassionate analysis of the facts against against the law and I guess if you can't get that stage is so important if you can't get to that stage of establishing the facts you're probably going to fail from from day one or at least maybe you don't give yourself the best chance of getting getting the resolution you want so but get it right and then you're kind of set up um to do everything else from there so that was that was an interesting one for me second one was about leverage so ron talks a lot about creating leverage over your opponents so the learning from me was here maybe rather than thinking possibly at the outset with a negative mindset which is which would be understandable for people who are sued or subjects of litigation switching that and thinking more strategic how do I create leverage to create a position where I have more control over the other party and it's not about all-out war it's about being methodical um, direct and tactical I think that's some of the, some of the things that came out for me there and then Ron made thirdly made a great point about the bombardment of information there's so much information out there and that's I'm sure that's kind of that's kind of compounding over time with with how complicated the world's getting but it's about finding litigation is about finding those nuggets finding them harvesting them and then putting those together to, to construct a compelling argument and narrative. And then, again, really important, getting every single person 
who's involved in the in the team of people getting them on on message. Um, so so all together. Third one and fourthly and finally, the story of the caribou yeah. Yeah. <laughs> satiating its hunger. I love that word satiating. There's a serious message there because it counters maybe that misconception that good defence is about aggression and it just isn't. It's about that relentlessness and the the story actually reminded me of a. I've got my own little parable here, but there's a quite well-known QC called Jonathan Gaisman, uh, QC, and I was a paralegal years and years ago. He told me the metaphor he used was fishing and that being a good litigator was basically about keeping, when you strike, you get the bite. It's about keeping the bend in that rod as you as you reel the fish in. But the point is, whatever your objective is, whether it's going to trial or, or finding a commercial resolution that you think is acceptable, it is about that relentlessness after, of course, you've done all the, the work of finding the right facts, applying the law, and then commercial considerations, constructing your argument. So anyway, yeah, that's, I'm, I've gone on for a bit there, but there was so much there for me that I learned from, from Ron and Ed. Yeah, there was a hell of a lot there to, to get stuck into, and I you know, we won't go into it now, but we talked about it off-air, that my football club has been going through a, a series of legal issues, and, and actually when I was listening to those guys talk, I was kind of like, I want those guys sorting out my football <laughs> yeah. club's legal issues right now. Um, so yeah, I thought they were absolutely fascinating. But that is that is all we've got time for now, and that's not just for this episode, Owen, but for all of Season 2 of the Rise and Edge DNA podcast, all wrapped up. How are you feeling? I think, I think with two series under your belt now, you can confidently call yourself a seasoned podcaster. No, <laughs> no. We'll go back to the ten thousand. I'm, I'm with um, Matthew Syed on this. Is a, an author. I'm not very good at maths. What's what's ten thousand minus minus ten? Uh, Nine thousand nine hundred ninety. Yeah. So getting there. But I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for supporting me and and helping helping us do it. And um, it's been great fun. And hopefully we'll get a commission for a for a third series difficult third <laughs> series yeah well if you just started listening to us or you're halfway through the series you, you join us halfway through the series or this is your first episode with us then we could certainly recommend going back to the beginning and checking out our archive we've covered loads of really really interesting topics from cryptocurrency and ESG to derivatives to security litigation and then the whole kind of inside track series as well on broker advocacy claims and, and litigation as we've, as we've just done over the past eight months we're available on all good podcast apps and we're even on all the rubbish ones as well it's automatic so owen hopefully we'll be back uh, again and uh, see you soon see you soon thanks richard take care 